Good morning. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve, one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 26. We're going to be starting in verse 30 this morning. I'm excited to jump back into uh, the gospel according to Matthew this morning. We're right in the middle of Matthew 26. And of course, you can find the sermons on the previous chapters on our website, literally hours of listening and or viewing pleasure. Uh, to catch you up, though, we left off last time in the book of Matthew with uh, the Last Supper uh, with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room as Jesus confronted Judas with his impending betrayal and explained what the Passover meal was actually about, that it's a prophecy of what Jesus would completely fulfill through his death and his resurrection. And right after they leave that dinner, the setting is going to change to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will prepare for what is ahead in uh, prayer to the to Father. And He's also going to warn His disciples of the impending and tumultuous events that are going to be ahead. And of course, this reveals to us that Jesus was not only fully aware of part of the plan of the Gospel, but Jesus was fully aware of every moment, every circumstance, everything that was about to happen to Him. None of it would catch him off guard. None of it would be a surprise to him. But more than that, he actually warns his disciples of their insufficiency to handle what was about to happen. And in this, Jesus reveals his sovereignty in warning them of the sin of self-sufficient pride. And through this narrative, of course, the sin of self-sufficiency and shame of Jesus reveals the need of every person to get the regenerating work of God in their lives to transform us into the people of faith that God has called us to be so that we can face God's plan for our lives through repentance and through depending on Him for strength. Because the type of strength that you need to follow Jesus Christ is only ever going to be found in God. It's never going to be found in yourself. I want to begin reading. In Matthew 26, verse 30, the text says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, who always speaks first, answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night... Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Number one this morning, I want you to understand that the first step to spiritual strength is acknowledging spiritual weakness. The first step to spiritual strength is actually found in acknowledging your spiritual weakness. We see from the text that Jesus knows exactly what He is walking into. Verse 30 kind of sets the stage there for the end of the final Passover meal. They sing a hymn, they depart, and Jesus continues to march towards His very arrest and His very crucifixion. In normal fashion, Jesus prepares the disciples for what's about to happen. He knows that they will flee from His side. The term that Jesus uses there for fall away is actually the same term that we use for the term scandal. It literally means an obstacle or a stumbling block in someone's path. And Jesus is warning His disciples that they are about to face a stumbling block and their loyalty to Him will not just be tested, but they will fail the test. It tells them, you will not remain loyal to Me, you will flee My side. 
A vital thing to understand in this is that it reveals to us the reality first that Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. Jesus knew exactly what He was walking into. He is God. And in this very instance, His deity actually is on display for the disciples to see as a revelation of His foreknowledge, a revelation of His predestination of the events that were going to happen in the crucifixion. This is the plan of God for salvation. Jesus will face the cross. He will face the atonement. He will face the shame. He will face every moment of pain. But Jesus is facing it with courage. Jesus warns them of what is about to happen, but He also tells them, you will be ashamed while I will face what is profoundly more difficult than what they were about to face. He knows what is ahead, and He's walking directly into it. And this, of course, is part of the substitutionary life of Jesus Christ. You are incapable of bearing the cross of Christ in your fallen state. You are incapable of standing up to the test. And Jesus is telling His disciples, your lives are going to serve as a revelation of weakness. He even warns them that they're going to fail. And they do. They will respond with human fear. They will respond with absolute cowardice to the arrest of Jesus Christ, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is a testament of who we are apart from Jesus Christ. Friend, you cannot deal with your sin. Only Jesus can. We don't know what is ahead. Only Jesus knows. You are not strong enough. Only Jesus is. The only place that you will ever find the courage that you need to face what is ahead is by giving yourself completely to Jesus Christ through faith. Because that is where true strength is found. Sadly, some of you are far too prideful to understand how truly weak you are. Some of you think that you're strong enough, that you're good enough, that you can do enough, that you will by your own strength stand up to the test. And that is... The first step of failure. That's a revelation of spiritual death. There is no life in your strength. There is no hope in you and you alone. This is why Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That statement's not about finances. That statement's not about material poverty. That statement's about spiritual weakness. He says you have a poverty in spirit and it is only when you realize your own poverty where strength is concerned that you will ever set yourself up to receive the strength of God in your life. And so I tell you, don't have more confidence in yourself than God does. You should never think that you are more than God says that you are. In Greek philosophy, they have the statement, know thyself. And they believed in Greek philosophy, Socrates thought that that is the first step of wisdom. That was their fundamental principle. The problem, though, was that Socrates did not realize that the key to knowing yourself was to face weakness in light of God's strength. We see in the text that Peter replies to Jesus by boasting of his courage and strength for what is ahead. And it's only because you know the second half of the story that you would mock Peter's statement. Because many of you would have made that same statement. 
Many of you make that statement every day. You believe you are enough. You believe you are strong enough. You believe that the key is that you've got to build up some kind of faulty self-esteem, not realizing that the only true esteem for self is found in receiving the strength of God. I've often told people that I have a pretty healthy sense of self-esteem, but it's only because of the strength of God in my life that I have it. There's no room for feeling sorry for yourself in the gospel, but there's also no room for thinking that you are strong enough on your own in the gospel. I realize that there is a tension that you're going to have to deal with there, but the truth is just the same. If you are convinced that you must go through life feeling sorry for yourself, filled with self-pity, you don't understand the gospel. But if you also are going to go through life thinking, I am strong enough, I am good enough, I am worthy enough, then you also equally do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter was so sure of himself that he looks at Jesus and says, you're wrong. Do you have any idea how audacious such a statement is? Do you have any idea the foolish pride that it takes to tell Jesus he's wrong about you? But how often are you confronted with the truth of Scripture and choose to go a different direction altogether? Do you think that that is any less foolish? How often do you believe that you are the exception to every rule that God has laid out in your life because life is different for you, things are different for you, no one understands you, fool. You are not that different. You are dead in your sin apart from Jesus Christ, just like everyone else. And when you choose to go your own way, you choose to go the path of condemnation, regardless of what you think your own way is. Peter wasn't speaking of God's strength in this passage. Peter wasn't saying, I'll never leave you because I know the Holy Spirit will give me the strength to endure. No, Peter wasn't convinced of God's strength. Peter was convinced of his own strength. Peter wasn't dependent on God. Peter was depending on himself. Another man in Scripture that thought he was strong was the Apostle Paul. But after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, he understood what true wisdom was all about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God speaks to the apostle and tells us of the sufficiency of living life dependent on God. The text says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you can grab that wisdom for your life, it will change you forever. Just like we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul in verse 10 lists a group of things that most of you are using all of your strength to avoid. The Apostle says hardship, well, that's the source of God's strength. Calamity, that's where I find God's strength. Persecution, that's where I find God's strength. Insults, that's where I find God's strength. And yet you form your life saying, I would do anything to avoid those things. Then you will never become the person that God has designed for you to be. The Apostle Paul said, God's grace is sufficient in my weaknesses. I found an interesting thing about spiritually strong people is that they are very quick and they find it very easy to talk about where they're weak. 
Spend a day with me. You'll find out all my flaws. I don't hide them. I speak of them openly to those who are close to me. Because I know that where I fall short, God has given me grace. God has strengthened me. It's an amazing thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because of God's grace, even when we come to the end of our strength, we find that God has more strength for us. He has an infinite supply of strength for me. If you want to insult me and say, oh, Steve, you are weak. Yeah, you don't even know the half of it. You don't even know the half of where I fall short daily. And yet when I come to the end of my strength, I find more of God's every single day. I don't live my life fearing insult, hardship, weakness, persecution, calamity, because I know that when I am weak, He is strong. I know that when I am going through the worst times of my life, that there is a purpose that God will reveal in His time. Friends, some of you have deceived yourselves into thinking that you are stronger than you really are. But some of you have also convinced yourselves that you are so weak that God can never be strong through you. Both of them are lies. Friends, you, some of you make bold statements about faith in your life with zero follow-through. I always love when I meet people in the foyer, and if this is your first Sunday, it's okay, you can say this to me. But they say, man, this is a church I've always been looking for. That's the best sermon I've ever heard. I can't wait to get plugged in around here. Can I tell you that 90% of the time, I never see that person again. I don't know what it is. The best reviews are the people that are quickest to leave. Because you're like, oh, I'm spiritually strong. I'm going to sign up. What happened? Weakness was revealed. Friend, when you don't follow through in faith, it's not something because something better came along. No, it's weakness actually coming through in your life. But God gives you strength to actually follow through. You misdiagnosed your condition. You are not a strong person looking for strong people. You are a person who is dead in your sin looking for people who have found life in Christ. But the key is, life will never be found in me. Life will always be found in Jesus Christ. It is His strength and His strength alone that defines your life. The people that endure to the end are people who know they realize how weak that they are. And so they stay as close as possible to Jesus every single day of their lives because He is their source of strength. The strong people in faith know how apt they are to give in to temptation. So they abide in Christ. It's like John 15 says, we are the branch. He is the vine. So to disconnect yourself from the source of strength is to wither and die. Friend, my only strength in life is the power of the Holy Spirit working through me. And the only way that I can stay strong is to stay totally connected to Jesus in every moment of my life. When I don't think I need Him, I will die. But every moment that I remind myself that I depend on Him, that is where I find strength. That is where I find life. Are you struggling? Good. 
you might find strength. Do you say, oh, I got nothing bad in my life. Everything's great. I'm wonderful. Everything's going great. You're the weakest person in the room. As long as you're defining those things by your strength, what you're capable of, you will never know what real strength is. Because it is only when you come to the end of your strength that you find the strength of Jesus Christ. Do not err on either side, friend. Don't be so overwhelmed with how great you are that you can't find the strength of Jesus Christ. But also, don't be so overwhelmed by how weak you are to think I can never do anything of value in this life. Friend, that's a lie. When you are weak, depend on the strength of Jesus Christ. I kind of want to do this text out of order. I want to skip to the end of the chapter because I didn't want to preach one sermon on the promise of Peter and then make you wait a couple of weeks until you see the absolute failure of Peter. And so I actually want to skip down to verse 69 in the text. In verse 69, you see the conclusion. You see that all the stuff that we're going to talk about over the next two or three weeks happens. Jesus is arrested. You, you guys can cheat on my sermons, by the way. I'm not telling you anything you can't know on your own. Jesus is arrested. The disciples flee. Jesus is being tried in a really illegal courtroom. And Peter's test comes. In verse 69, it begins to fall out. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, not too close. Peter's just far enough away that he feels safe, but close enough to be in danger. And a servant girl came up to him and said, isn't it amazing that uh, your weakness can be revealed by a little child? I think those little details in Scripture are more important than we think that they are. It isn't some soldier that, that initially challenges Peter. It isn't some big, bad, scary villain that comes in Peter's path. The Scripture just says a servant girl. And so you get this picture. I don't have any more information than this to offer you. But you get this picture of a child coming to Peter, trying to be strong, trying to get warm. And said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. No habla inglés. That's basically what Peter said. Because I don't speak the language. I think something's getting lost in translation. I don't understand what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. This is getting embarrassing. And she said to the bystanders, eh, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. There's two. Peter immediately folds under the pressure. He's like, I'm too close. I don't want them taking me into that courtroom. I don't want them accusing me of what they're accusing Jesus of because I don't think things are going to work out well for Jesus because He's warned us about this. He's about to die. And I don't want to face the same end that Jesus has faced. Friend number two this morning, being ashamed of Jesus reveals a lack of faith in Jesus. Being ashamed of Jesus reveals a lack of faith in Jesus. You know, self-righteousness is the first step of shame in Jesus. It is. Peter fell because he was self-righteous. Peter fell because he thought he could depend on his own strength. 
Peter fell because he thought he was strong enough to face any test that this life could show to him. And it was that very self-righteousness that set him up to be ashamed of Jesus. Because self-righteousness will convince you of the lie that only good things should happen to you. And so in the moment of danger, you know who the first people to drop out are? Are the self-righteous. His claim is not unlike the claims that we make in life. Peter basically states, when Jesus confronts him and says, you're going to deny me three times, he basically looks at Jesus the way we look at Jesus and say, God, you're wrong about me. I can make this work. This plan that's totally going to take me out of your will, this life that is going to be filled with temptation to sin, this plan that I have that's going to make me commit to the things of the world over the things of you, I'm different. Other people can't make it work, but they're not as strong as me. They haven't figured out the secret sauce the way that I've figured out the secret sauce. Lord, you're wrong about me. I can make it work. I am not weak. I will not fail. Even though thousands have failed before me, I'm the first one to ever figure it out. In a very real way, Peter is stating that he isn't going to buy into the lies of the world. In a very real way, Peter is saying he is above temptation. Friend, none of you are above temptation. Peter had walked side by side with Jesus for three years at this point. I mean, could you imagine he had an audience of God the Son in human form. And so if God is looking at someone that has walked side by side with God the Son, Jesus Christ, and saying, you're not strong enough, why do you think you are? How could you think that you're strong enough? In verse 69, of course, we see, begin to see the fallout of the claim of Jesus versus the claim of Peter. Peter puts himself directly in an environment that would lead to the most temptation to deny Jesus. Peter walks into the courtyard where people are basically gathered to see what is going on with Jesus. And Peter believes his hype so much that he believes his own lies. He walks right into the wolf's den. And this is the source of so much sin in people's lives. It never starts with this specific temptation. That's not where your failure is going to start. It never starts with a particular sin. The problem is always rooted in self-righteousness. The problem is always rooted in trying to prove yourself. The problem is always rooted even in the face of everything God has told us in Scripture. You deny your own weakness. That's where sin starts. We see in the life of Peter here that spiritual impulsiveness breeds foolish pride. Peter's impulsive. He thinks that he can fit his plan and his self-righteousness into the plan of God for his life. And it, of course, leads to his complete undoing and failure. It's that old lie, I can have it all. No, you can't. Anybody that tells you you can have it all is an idiot or just a complete liar. Because you cannot have everything that the world promises you and anything that God promises you. You must make sacrifices. You must make decisions. And you've got to be prepared for those decisions. I mean, look at what Peter does. In Mark 8, 
Jesus warned him about denying him. Mark 8, 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And I love the way Jesus sets it up. Because he says, it's going to be difficult to not be ashamed of me. Because you're in the middle of an adulterous and sinful generation. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a problem. You're going to be following me in a world with people who are ashamed of me. People who are rebelling against me. People who are sinning against me. Anyone who denies me, though, before men, I will deny before the Father. Peter is so bound to prove himself that he marches right into the environment where he is most likely to deny Christ environment with people that are looking for a show rather than looking to worship God the Son. The problem that most of you have is is that you are so prideful about yourself that you continuously enter into environments of temptation because you think you are strong enough. It is a fool's game to walk into environments of temptation. The Scripture doesn't tell us to do that. Scripture actually tells us to run the other way. This is what many of you do on a weekly, if not daily basis. You know the warnings of Scripture. You know that you are weak in the flesh, yet you continue to march right into the wolf's lair over and over again. Friend, there is nothing to gain by walking into environments ripe with temptation, yet you do it over and over. Why do you do that? It's because you want to sin. It's because you want to have to deny Jesus. It's because you are more convinced of the pleasures and the strengths of this world than you are of your own weakness and the strength of God. Here's the reality. Listen to God. Listen to God. Listen to God. I've often been mocked in my life because I won't put myself into certain situations. I won't put myself into any environment that I believe is going to be temptation for me to sin. I won't do it. I avoid it altogether. And people will tell me, oh, that's legalism. It's working out pretty well for me, though. Because I avoid the temptation to sin. You say, oh, you'll never get strong until you put yourself in the environment of temptation. What, you fool? That's not how you get strong. You get strong by being holy, by pursuing righteousness, by avoiding environments of temptation. I would rather die than cheat on my wife. One of the most important things a mentor ever told me was a pastor who personally discipled me and a missionary friend of his had fallen into temptation, had committed adultery. And was leaving the faith because he would rather continue in his adulterous uh, affair than to repent and follow Jesus Christ. My mentor looked me straight in the face and he said, I don't care where this world takes you. If you ever hear that I've cheated on my wife, kill me. Kill me. Because it's better to be dead than in sin. And I have let that guide every step of my way. Before it was the Mike Pence rule, it was the Jerry Falwell rule. I'm not alone with women ever. And it's amazing how many accusations you can avoid when no one's ever alone with you. You accused Jerry Falwell of a lot of things, but he was never accused of cheating on his wife. 
And I've taken that personally. And people will mock you for it. People will call you a chauvinist for it. You know what I call it? Faithful to Jesse Gentry. That's what I call it. I'll be faithful to her till the day I die. That's my wife. I don't just have a covenant with her. I have a covenant with God. And that supersedes anything in this world. I will not enter into environments of temptation so much as it depends on me. You are a fool if you do that. Because here's the deal. You can't always control your environment. I will, and I have been, forced into environments of temptation because it didn't depend on me. And since I know that's going to happen, guess what? I'm not going to choose it. Because when I choose it, I'm choosing to have my weakness exposed because I'm willfully rejecting the wisdom of God in my life. Friends, many of you live your lives with a singular lie that will be your undoing. And it's not a lie a lot of people talk about. The singular lie that so many of you walk through life believing is the lie, I can handle it. That's the lie you believe. I can handle it. No, you can't. It is only when you realize how spiritually weak you are that you will ever understand what spiritual strength is all about. Your determination to live your life by your rules and by your instincts and even believing that you are different than everyone else will not build a life of faith. It will only build a life of lies and a life where you will eventually... Might not happen tomorrow, might not happen next month, might not happen next year. But eventually, just like Peter, you will have to deny Jesus in some way, shape, or form through sin. Because you aren't enduring. You don't think it will ever happen to you. You don't think it will ever come to that. I believe that Peter, when he was boasting of his strength, I think Peter was boasting because he didn't really think he would ever be tested on it. I think Peter said, I don't think it's going to happen anyway. So Jesus, I'll never leave you. Because he's believing lies. He's not listening to the Son of God. He's not listening to the revelation of God. And he says, I'll never have to really face this test. Friends, bold faith only comes through continuous preparation. A life of enduring faith does not happen by accident. Abiding in Christ requires you enter into environments of God's design over and over and over and avoiding areas where you will be tempted to fail because there always comes a day where you don't know the test is going to happen. It's coming for every one of us. And so my way of preparing for that day is I stay as close to Jesus Christ as I possibly can because I know how weak I am. I don't even have to take like an assessment to figure out how weak I am. You want to know why I know that I'm weak? Because Jesus says I am, and I just believe Him. Call me crazy. But I believe God knows me pretty well. And so I just believe whatever He says. And so if I think temptation is going to be there, avoid it. And I just stay close to Him, and I strengthen myself. I stay in His Word. I stay in prayer. I stay in environments of discipleship. I stay in environments of biblical community. I stay in environments of truth so that when I'm tempted to believe a lie, it's exposed immediately and I run the other way. Preparation precedes performance. 
And some of you are preparing to fail by your nonchalant view of life and the choices that you are making. John 15 comes back over and over. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. You want a fruitful life? Abide in Christ. You want an even more fruitful life? Abide in Christ. You want an extremely fruitful life? Abide in Christ. It never says, see how long that tether will grow. See how far enough away from Jesus you can get, yet you're still faithful to Jesus. Never says that. It says stay as close as possible. The Apostle Paul dedicated his life to staying as close as possible. And here is a statement from the end of his life in 2 Timothy 1.12. He's writing to Pastor, to Pastor Timothy towards the end of his life. And he says, I suffer why I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed in, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. That kind of faith doesn't just happen. The kind of faith where you get to the end of your life and you say, no regrets. I gave it all to Jesus every single day. I'm suffering for my faith, but that's fine because I know I can trust Him. He is faithful. He is strong. The spiritually strong people in your life brag about Jesus Christ and His strength. That was Paul's secret. Number three, God convicts His people of sin because He's gracious. So easy to just beat up on Peter. But then we get to verse 73 and it says, After a little while, the bystanders came up to him. So, so it's funny because they basically team up. So let's get this guy. And they said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. They say, you sound a lot like him. <laughs> then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said it would. Verse 75 is the most important verse in this text for your spiritual life. Verse 75 states this, And Peter remembered. What did he remember? The saying of Jesus. You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. There is a difference between sorrow and repentance. Every single one of us, I want you to understand this, every single one of us will face failure in our lives. We will all face sin. Every single one of us will have moments in which we find ourselves in sin and we will say, how did I even get here? And if your response to Peter's denial of Christ, if you're seeing this, and you're like, how could he be so stupid? Then you're understanding why Matthew wrote it in the way that he wrote it. This is a type of sin that should make you cringe, but it should also make you look within yourself. It should confront you with your own foolishness and your own tendencies to sin against God. Being convicted of sin is good. The problem comes when you're not convicted of sin. problem comes when you don't take sin seriously in your life. When Peter heard the rooster crow, do you know what happened to him? The Spirit of God immediately brought Jesus' words to his mind. In John 14 and in John 16, Jesus promises to his followers, He says, when you need it, the Spirit will remind you of everything that I've taught you. And the Spirit of God brings the words of Jesus into Peter's mind because that is how conviction of sin works. 
That's what it looks like. As helpful as I believe accountability from other people can be, it is no substitute for the inner work of God through His Spirit. That is the vital source of real conviction over sin. It is like being stabbed in the heart with a dagger. It cuts you to your very soul. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, the apostle writes this. He says, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation with no regrets, whereas worldly grief produces death. What's the difference? Guilt over sin is something that the book of Romans, I love the way Romans 1 and 2 talks about it. It reveals that it happens to everyone. It happens to believers. It happens to unbelievers. But that can also just be worldly grief. You can be sorry that you got caught. You can be embarrassed that you got caught. And you can be embarrassed that you did something wrong. You can be disappointed that you didn't live up to some certain standard or rule or law. But that can be just worldly grief. Godly grief is different. It's about you and God. Godly grief is facing the reality that you disobeyed the God that you love. You have sinned against God. Do you realize no one told Peter he was wrong? That's when you can really be certain that it's godly grief. No one has to tell you you did wrong. God does it Himself. Peter knew he had denied the very Jesus whom he loved and was going to die on the cross for him. And he was so overwhelmed by his sin that he wept. But here's the amazing, amazing news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. True repentance leads to faithful growth and restoration. Peter is sorry for his sin. He weeps over his sin. Peter is in this reality that he doesn't want anything in his life to jeopardize his relationship with Jesus. Because true repentance is sourced in a real relationship with God. That's why some of you don't know what repentance actually feels like. Some of you are just following a rule. You're following a standard. And so when you, when you do wrong, you're like, well, I guess I should get it right. There's no real conviction. There's no real sorrow. There's no realization that this affects my relationship with God, the very source of my strength. That's why Peter wept over his sin. But it's also why Peter was restored. In John 21, we see Jesus post-resurrection. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And he's having a little meal with Peter. Some of you are like, how could Peter go to Jesus knowing he had denied him. He should be embarrassed. Friends, for the follower of Jesus Christ, your response to sin should not be to flee the presence of God. Your response to sin should be to flee to the presence of God as fast as you possibly can. John 21, starting in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, I love breakfast. Everything good is about breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, <coughs> excuse me, tend my sheep. Said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. The regret of sin, even forgiven, stings. 
I truly believe, the text doesn't tell me this, but I believe that Jesus asked him this three times because Peter denied him three times. Peter was grieved because I think Peter remembers because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. He was exposed. He was vulnerable. And so, Lord, you know what's going on in my life. You know what I've done. You know my sin. But Peter still says, you know that I love you. Isn't it amazing that God would accept the love of sinners like us? He says, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In other words, your life will show it. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. Then he said this, he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to Peter, follow me. Repentance always leads you to run to the presence of God rather than away from Him in shame because it is only in the presence of God that you'll be restored. Jesus questions Peter three times there and Peter says, I love you. Jesus is teaching Peter about redemption and restoration because Peter would have one more opportunity to deny Christ in his life. But Peter would not do it. And he would be killed for it. You are not strong enough. You must abide in Christ. You must prepare to live for His name. You must trust His strength, no matter what the cost. But if and when you fail... Friend, the answer is never to keep running. The answer is to run to the presence of Jesus Christ, to confess your sin, to repent, and to follow Him, no matter what it costs you. Because that is strength. A few application points. First, realize your spiritual weakness. Many have not, and they have all failed. Secondly, depend on God's strength for your life. Depend on it. Plug into it. Never flee from it. Thirdly, connect your life to Jesus and stay close. Stay close. The foolishness in some of your lives is that you've connected your life to Jesus and you're trying to see how far the tether will go. <laughs> There's no wisdom in that. Stay as close as you possibly can. Then finally... Friend, react to your sin by running into the presence of the Savior. He is Lord, but He's also the Savior. His grace is sufficient for you. 